Hello, good people. Welcome to The Chris Stefanik Show, the show that helps you find the joy that God made you for in the midst of everyday life. Don't miss us every week as we dive into real issues with real people and answer real questions. God bless you. Brothers and sisters, so excited for today's show. I'll be talking to an exorcist about spiritual warfare, not just the stuff that he does, but the stuff that we have to do in our everyday lives. This is in 1 Peter 5. Be sober and alert. You're Opponent, the devil, is prowling like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, solid in your faith. And we're not just going to dive into this stuff to freak you out, and hopefully we don't, (laughs) but to bolster your faith and to to help you take the entire spiritual life more seriously, uh, because there's a lot in the line. Thanks for watching. Father Chad Ripperger. Good to see you, Chris. Uh, Thank you so much for making time to do this. Oh, you're very welcome. I I know you have a, a... busy schedule, which is actually a little scary to think that you have a really busy schedule, but... This is true. I do have job security these days. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, before I, I dive into your work as an exorcist mm-hmm. uh, and spiritual warfare and how the things that you do apply to all of us in everyday life, because stuff like exorcism is pretty dang rare, but right. the rest of it's not. Um, I, I want to dive into your, your personal story first. Sure. What what made you a devout Catholic in the first place? You're not the average guy. Uh, what happened? N- no, I, it, it was my parents. To be honest with you, we had a very we had a very devout uh, family life. Um, you know, going to con- uh, mass, confessions on a regular basis. Uh, my parents got us involved in the uh, in serving and all of that. Um, we had devotional life even within our family. The other thing is, uh, my mom was uh, the head of the catechetical program for the parish we were in, and she actually made everybody, this was back in the day, this kind of dates me a little bit, but they, they, in the day, you had to memorize the entire Baltimore Catechism oh. to be confirmed. Are you serious? So, yeah, so by the time I was in sixth grade, I'd memorized the entire Baltimore Catechism and got confirmed, and, um, and two, by daily mass, all sorts of devotions like going to... Um, devotions of the nine first Fridays, five uh, first Saturdays, that type of thing. So it was just it was just part and parcel of our family life. So just a really prayerful family. It was, I, yeah. I think I think people overcomplicate sometimes. Like, how do I help my kids keep the faith? And it's like, well, you're praying a lot. <laughs> you know, yes, you talk exactly. to God or just about him sometimes. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, in fact, one person said to me, she's the, she said, you know, the one thing I've noticed, at least today, especially because things are a little more difficult for families, she said, the thing I've noticed most today is, is that the families that seem to not have any of the children that fall away are the ones that say the rosary together every day. Mm. So it's a good reminder, folks. Yep. Say say the rosary together. Nope. Say the rosary together. I mean, it's powerful stuff. Uh, okay, so what got you? What made you a priest? Is that something you always kind of knew you had growing up? You wanted to be one, or is that in college, or where did this uh, enter in? Um, well, it basically when I was four years old. Ironically, when I was four years old, um, all my siblings went back to uh, went back to school. I was the youngest. And so my mom started going back to daily mass because she had time. And so in that day and age, the children didn't come up to the communion realm. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I remember seeing my mom going up to receive communion. This is even when they were receiving it at the communion realm. And uh, seeing my mom receive it and give it, seeing the priest give out communion. I still have the image in my mind of him giving out communion. And uh, You were four. I was four years old. And what ran through my mind is that's what I want to do. That's incredibly so that, easy discernment. It, God, God bypassed a lot of teenage angst and pain for you. He did. It didn't mean <laughs> that women weren't interesting when I was younger. <laughs> yeah, but it yeah. just, it just yeah. I always realized, no, this is where my vocation was. And um, so it was never much of a discernment process for yeah. me. And thanks for saying that, too, because some, some guys 
think, well, I, I like girls, so therefore I shouldn't be a priest. Like, well, no, I'd, I'd hope if you like girls right. and want to be a dad, like, these, these are the kind of things that would make you a good priest. Right. And it's yeah. also a sign that you can get the calling at any age, right? It, so it's awesome. not necessarily at four. It can be when you're older, too. So. Archbishop Shapu, when he said when he's nine, he knew. I mean, it's just, so some people, yeah. Like, yeah. They, they can know. They can. Uh, okay, so this is a, you know, a crazier question here. Uh, it's easier to conceive of someone falling in love with the Lord and, mm -hmm. and having a prayer life, becoming a priest. And how do you get into your line of work as an exorcist? Because that's that's not something yeah. like you know I I want to sign up for that. Like what do you what what do you do? Well, in fact, I even <laughs> tell people I still don't want to be an exorcist. The only reason I'm an exorcist is because every time I try and get out of it, it seems like Our Lady pulls me back in. Wow. So, wow. but um, most exorcists, myself being. Um, one of them is usually because of the fact that the bishop is actually requests that you do it. So mm -hmm. when I was in the uh, Archdiocese of Omaha, I had written a book on um, psychology from a Thomistic point of view, and one of the chapters was on uh, diabolic influence and the intersection between diabolic and also uh, psychology. So where, where uh, did I get that book, by the way? Because that sounds incredible. Um, you can just actually, it's available uh, on Amazon, but there's also... Um, our own uh, website, which is um, Census Traditionis Press, it's a bit long, or just a Centrad Press. Okay. Um, but they can, they can uh, actually get it there. So I wrote that book. It was during that time that I was actually talking to exorcists who were friends. Uh, it was For me, it was purely an academic interest because I was just interested in the intersection between psychology and diabolic influence. Wow, wow. And then um, a case actually arose in the Archdiocese of Omaha, and then essentially speaking through a series of uh, back and forth with the chancery, they asked me to take the case. So then I got um, some more training and then just started doing it. So, okay. Um, so it, it was probably writing that book. It wasn't a, a, a particular charismatic gift. I mean, do you, no. would you describe yourself as having a, a gift where you walk in a room and you kind of sense something's off? Or, or uh, what's that like you, for you? Yeah, as people far ask me that pretty commonly because yeah. they just presume if you're an exorcist, you have some charismatic grace, which is actually. In my case, I told people I'm a grinder, which basically means I, I tell people, look, my job is just to swing a sledgehammer and break rocks. I just keep grinding <laughs> away awesome. at it. I don't necessarily have any. It doesn't mean that we, that in, as an exorcist, you don't get ordinary graces during mm -hmm. sessions where God gives you a grace to see this is what you, this is the direction you need to go, and things like that. But they're not charismatic in that sense because they're just ordinary graces. Okay. And so, um, although I, you know, I have seen authentic charismatic graces even in this line of work, um, even discernment of spirits that were on levels that you know were you know, kind of like Padre Pio kind of levels among wow. clergy. So you do see that from time to time, but um, I don't have one. And I think that there's a reason for that is because my, I think one of the reasons why our Lord and our Lady have me in this is because um, I've been spending the 15 years as an exorcist um, observing things so that, as I mentioned before, I was interested in that intersection between psychology Wow. and uh, diabolic influence. And so I've been watching those things. And so wow. it's, it's easier for me to take a more objective academic approach when I, because I wrote some books on it, um, so, that it so that you can give people some of the objective criteria. Okay. So that the subjective criteria, which arises from the charismatic graces, has an objective criteria which it can be measured against. Okay. So um, especially in this area, because demons can also falsify charismatic graces. So you have to be yeah. very careful in the discernment of them. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, your job is is literally the stuff of, of horror movies, right? I mean, they they make scary yeah, movies out of what you do. They do, and I don't I don't want to uh, uh, I don't want to give the devil too much attention because he's Mister Look at me. 
And uh, very much so, right? Yeah. So we we could talk all about that. And I'm sorry to disappoint if you're watching for that kind of thing. But I, I but supernatural things do happen. They do, and they're freaky, right? I'm you know I I, I have a friend who was part of an exorcism in Haiti, and this woman was cussing four guys out in their own native languages fluently, and she yeah. never went to school. And that's she was right. From yeah. the mountains of Haiti, and I'm like that's that's just one of like many really crazy uh, stories. Right. Um, is it scary? Uh, n well, there's two parts of it. The first is is that um, the types of things that demons do are within a certain kind of a range or a gamut. So, okay. you know, after you've been an exorcist for two to three years, you've seen probably pretty much everything you're gonna see, right? And it's not- The devil's not very creative. No, in fact, they're high, very consistent, more so than we would think. It seems random to us because we don't know their patterns sometimes, mm. but they're actually very consistent. So, you know, the, and the church has said these are the three kinds of things that you're gonna watch for that give indication that the person is possessed, for example, and you do see those things. People say, well, have you seen this from, like you see in Hollywood? It's, yeah, I've seen all those things, but they're not that common. In okay. fact, those real extreme forms of preternatural signs that you see probably only occur in about five to seven percent of the caseload. You do see things that are preternatural, but not those, you know, like levitation and things like that. Those okay. are, those are for fairly rare. So a very small percentage of people come to you are actually possessed, and then a very small percentage of people who are possessed uh, will levitate or speak other languages or, or do things that are like, this is That's correct. So the, the percentage, we actually have statistics that we've been keeping track of. Oh, wow. The number of people that actually come to us that actually are possessed, that, that we first hear their initial story and begin the vetting process, it's only 0.5%. So less than 1% of the people. Oh, wow. they, it doesn't mean they don't have okay. other diabolic okay. issues, but it's less. Okay. And as far as, you know, the scary part is, is it's um, because um, demons work within a certain set of parameters, the church has said, look, follow these rules, and if you stay within your lane, you're gonna be safe. It's when exorcists or priests get outside that, that that's when the problems really begin. And so as long as you stay within that lane, generally speaking, doesn't mean, I mean, it is stepping into yeah. a boxing ring of a sort, but it's, it's manageable, it's not that difficult if you have a strong prayer life. People say, have you ever been afraid? And I always tell people the two times. Yeah. That was okay. the, the first time, which was thinking to myself, I hope I don't do anything stupid, okay. right? Because it's, it's your first time, yeah. right, in the driver's seat. Yeah. Uh, the second time, though, that's was, funny because that's the same exact kind of fear that anybody has with any new job. Yeah, the second the yeah. second time was one time this one demon would not obey, so I just turned to God the Father mentally and I just said, "Punish him in a way he's never been punished before." And there was a full blown preternatural manifestation right there, and he the demon was screaming. And what what the fear? You, did you say this out loud or just in your just in my mind? own mind? I said it. I said it to God. And so what happens is, is the, the, what, what the fear wasn't in relationship to the demons, because they're not really to be feared, because they're on a short leash. It's what, was, what I was looking at is the severity of God's punishment for those who disobey him and don't, um, that Whoa. reject him. So that's what I looked at, I'm like, if that doesn't strike the fear of God in you, nothing will, right? Just <laughs> see, literally looking, this is what hell looks like. So. That, wow. that there was that fear, but the but it's really fallen out of style to even talk about that. that it very much is so. It very right. much is so. But but wow. in relationship to the demons, there is I, there's uh, an experienced exorcist doesn't have any fear. He's cautious. You have to be careful. Okay. Uh, but you don't. There's no fear because um, they can only do what Christ permits, and so you know they're restricted, and so mm -hmm. you know as long as as long as I stay under Christ's protection which is basically staying in the lane that the church has said to stay in, you're not gonna, you're, you're not gonna, uh, you're not gonna suffer any. Faith.
Yeah. Faith, it's just, faith and fear don't coexist. No, they don't. You know? <laughs> that, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, that's, that's really amazing. So, but you, you said the demons are on a short leash, and yet sometimes God allows these horrific displays. He does. Uh, so, what's, there's a mystery here you, you tap into when you say that. You know, yeah. like God, God is a, a, specifically allowing these things. Why? Uh, he, well, he allows, he allows the demons to basically show themselves, at least in certain cases, in order for us to, um, a, for the exorcist to know that they're actually present so that they, they recognize, okay. okay, this person needs my help um, and that their church's help. This, the other part of it is, too, is, is that a lot of times what you see in the demon is actually you can learn something from it. So mm. um, as St. Thomas Aquinas mm. says, demons manifest their characteristics. So how they appear when they manifest actually is their characteristics. So you learn a lot from the demons in the process. It's also um, wow. done, but the primary reason that we keep coming across more and more is, is that the reason why the demons are allowed to afflict people um, is that ultimately they're the instrument of our sanctification. And <laughs> God allows them into our life because by having to combat them, we attain a level of virtue and sanctity that we wouldn't. We'd just be mediocre spiritually a lot of times. Wow. So like every cross. Like every They're cross. Just like any That's other right. cross. That... And in fact, some of the holiest people I've ever met were people who they're possessed, but then they start the spiritual battle, they start developing the virtue, and they become some of the holiest people I've met. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So many questions are coming to my mind while okay. you're talking. <laughs> uh, it, when you see a, a, the, the pain of a, of a demon. Yeah. Strange question. Have you ever felt bad for this being that is so miserable? Uh, no, for two reasons. One is that I have to deal with them too. You know, and, and it, it, as yeah. I mentioned, it's like stepping into a boxing ring. So you do get attacks. The prayer life that we have structured in our community is such that it keeps almost all of that at bay, but you still get a little bit of that. Okay. So, and that's just on a personal level, but it's also recognizing um, how much affliction they cause other people. Mm. And that in point in fact, um, the, uh, you know, the demons actually want to, uh, to replicate their pain and suffering in other people, even the very nature of their pain and suffering. How have you seen that? Well, in the sense, for example, so like, for example, um, every demon who fell, he fell based on a specific, his task, he was assigned a specific task and he rejected it, so his sin is very specific to himself. And so a lot of times the conscience, his conscience bothers him. He has pains of conscience because they have oh. the natural law just wow. like we do. And so what happens is, is that pain of conscience They'll start making the person feel guilty for stuff that they've never even done, or they'll just afflict people emotionally because they have access to the emotions, um, making them feel depressed, self-loathing, self-hatred, all those things, wow. which is why I tell people they have to stop. You should have no self-loathing. You know, we should love ourselves for Christ's sake, ultimately. But mm. so they, they afflict people, and so... Um, the Demons thing, want us to hate ourselves. They want us to hate ourselves. They, they want to hurt us. Yeah. They want to... And so they, they have a lot of malice. And in, it's funny because even the, um, even the punishment that as an exorcist, because we're instruments of just, God's justice mm -hmm. to them, even what we mete out on them, they will admit, pales in comparison to what they deserve for the sin that they've done and the, and the offense that they've committed against God. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Do you ever get, uh, uh, some of the people in the studios were a little nervous today because you, you, oh, you, yeah. actually, you actually came here from an exorcism. And uh, <laughs> you ever get tag-alongs? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure this is part of your, the, the, the daily routine. Uh, and how do you deal with them? Uh, there's two things that we do is right at the end of the session, we actually say a set of prayers to keep us, to, to kind of clip any of that type of stuff from occurring. Okay. 
Um, it does still happen from time to time. Um, and so what we tend to do is, um, uh, it, as priests, we've kind of got into the habit so that, and we also train our lay assistants who assist us during these sessions, that if you feel attacked or there's something going on, then what we'll do is we'll go to another priest and ask them to do a minor exorcism over us to kind of just kind of clear it out. We found oh. that uh, works um, pretty significantly. As an exorcist, usually it's in the first couple of years that the the, the most amount of tax you're going to get because they're testing and probing you to see where your weaknesses are, etc. So they're talking to each other. Oh yeah, they they know who what your weaknesses are, etc. And they they communicate that with each other, and so they're trying to test it to probe. But af after a while, they get to the point where they don't want to attack or, or even try and test the, uh, an experienced exorcist because they know if he's if he's doing what he needs to do and he's leading his spiritual life properly, any attack that they make, he can use to his own spiritual advantage. Wow, wow! Uh, you gave me a prayer. I want to I want to share with people watching sure. uh, that has helped me tremendously, and it's a prayer of uh, consecration to Our Lady, mm -hmm. where you specifically mention any area that you feel like is being oppressed. That's right. And it's like, well, if the evil one wants it, he's got to go to Our Lady now because it's hers. That's right, exactly. <laughs> and you, know, you share with me like, you've had very few problems in part because of that. That's yeah. right. Yeah, which uh, I, I say that prayer every day. Yeah, how do people get that prayer? By the way. Um, I can put it in the show notes too. Maybe I'll, yeah, I'll... you can put it in the show notes. It's um, technically speaking public domain, but it's actually in a book that I put together. I compiled a, a variety of prayers for deliverance work, just okay. called Deliverance Prayers for the Laity, okay. which um, they can get on online. Um, fantastic. What, uh, what, what sets an exorcism up to work? What sets it up to fail? Uh, and, and to work long-term, to stick? Because I know these, these things aren't like, some people have an idea that you know they've seen... Uh, some they've seen the chosen and they right. think well exorcists do what Jesus did and just yes. says get out and it's you know it's over in a, in a 30 second scene that's right or a scene in the Bible which obviously he had that authority that's correct but you, you have a lot of prayers you have to say that's correct uh, and it's a battle so what it is what, what makes it more successful more quickly um, I think there's two parts to it the first is is on the side of the person who's possessed ultimately yeah. is okay. um, the two characteristics that we're primarily looking for them is um, consistency. That is, making sure that there's they are being very faithful to their own prayer life and doing what they need to do. Because we tell them, look, 90% of this is your battle. Mm -hmm. I'm helping you fight it. I'm going to give you direction and counsel. This is what we're going to do. And the other 10%, the scene of Quainon, very often for your liberation, is probably the sessions that we need to do, the solemn exorcisms. But it's ultimately your battle. So if they come up to battle and they fight it very well, mm -hmm. then we're good. It's when they stop doing their prayers or if mm -hmm. they're unwilling to suffer, because they have to be willing to suffer through this process um, because it's very painful. Mm -hmm. So we find that most people um, quit. Um, uh, which most have, of them quit. Most of them quit. About 60% of the people quit the process because either it just requires them to give up a lot of stuff in their spiritual life, like there's sins that they might be attached to and things like that. And they go through life possessed. Yeah, and they, they'll, they're, will, they're willing to live with the possession than give, rather than give up their sin. And that's incredible. Yeah, and that's part of that is, is, <clears throat> is the other part, which is um, something which we talk about, uh, I talk about it actually in my books, is is what we call the diabolic compatibility. So when demons attack people in the, in the course of their life, especially when they're possessing, they spend a lot of times, a lot of time, excuse me, getting the person's psychology to conform to their own psychology so that they're compatible, so that they can manipulate them more easily. And so um, a lot of times what happens is, is that the people have to be willing to break that psychological compatibility. 
So it's, and that means there's a lot of suffering. So if they maintain their prayers and, and, and do what we ask, and that means giving up certain things in their spiritual life that may be bad, we call that removing the obstacles to grace. So if you get rid of that, a lot of times that itself will weaken the demons, just getting rid of their sin. Uh, and then if, they, if they're willing to go the distance, that is perseverance and that willingness to suffer for an extended period of time, those are the people that are successful. And you do see God giving them those grace. Sometimes it's extraordinary, the grace that God gives people to, to go that, go that wow. distance. Wow, wow. Yeah, I, I guess I shouldn't be shocked because I also think of uh, dysfunctions and sins in my own life. Or mm -hmm. I know people who are in anonymous groups. Most of them don't make it. That's right. And yeah. they choose lives of ruin rather than dealing with their stuff. That's right. I mean, any yeah. vice takes a long time to get. And this is, uh, I guess, this just makes it clear, like what every vice is a battle for. That's right. It's for your soul with demons. It is, yeah. Yeah. And they can use any <laughs> vice of yours. They can drive it. They can drive you to to continue that wow. vice and to increase it because the more vice you have, the weaker you are, and the easier it is for them to wow. manipulate you. Wow. Okay. So how do I ensure? You know, again, this is extremely rare, but mm -hmm. I think a answering this question will, will uh, illuminate things that are, that are not quite so rare in the right. spiritual battle. You know, how do you ensure that your, your family, that your own soul is closed to attacks like possession? Uh, the, two, the two principal things, uh, well, there's two ways in which people ultimately become possessed. There's actually a third, which is extraordinary. I've only read of them. I've never seen them. Okay. The first is, is that um, through mortal sin. So any mortal sin... Can open you to possession. Can open you to possession. So I, I, I mean, people become possessed through mortal sins of pride, fornication. Pornography is the one that we're seeing a lot, especially among men. Um, and so those... But I have seen people become possessed through... Yeah, as I mentioned, um, I saw a woman who became possessed through a mortal sin of pride. So, um, and it's, she was a virtuous woman and the demon tempter in that regard to think that she was better than everybody else. And, and so, um, so any mortal sin is an open door, exorcists say. Venial sin is not gonna cause you to be possessed. It, yeah. it will be, it can be kind of a, an open door in the sense that demons will use it to kind of drive mm. you in certain things. Mm. But it's, it's moral sin. The other one is if some grave evil is committed against you, like you're cursed, or we see a, a somewhat common people, um, especially among women, people who are raped, molested, um, or mm. psychologically traumatized. Mm. Those are the types of people. What's interesting is, is about, about that second category of class, though, is, is that the women or the people that suffer those, the victims, if they climb out of it, they are some of the holiest people and their examples of forgiveness are just astounding. And that's why God allows it. And that's why God allows it's it. What, and it's also a way to draw them closer to him because, um, and to show them that ultimately in the end, there are certain wounds that only he can heal, right? Mm. So, um, there, so there's that part. So those are the primaries. The third category is that you don't commit a moral sin and that you, there's no, um, nothing evil's been done against you. I've only read about that those kinds of cases, you know, nuns who became possessed or things of that sort, but those are extraordinarily rare and usually they have to do with something external to the individual. Wow, wow. The, um, it's, it's just, I'm just always blown away by that mystery of, of salvation, the mystery of, of God allowing our own crosses to bring about resurrections. And, yeah. But then you see it played in every area of life. You want to get a bigger bicep, you put resistance on the bicep. That's exactly it. it gets it's strong. the same principle. And the Lord loves to create these things on us. Some doubters would, would listen to this, though, and say, well, why would he choose such painful paths? And I don't know how, how would you answer that, because I, I, just, I just think, of, well, I, it's hard to answer, but like I, I look at the movies, frankly, I like to watch. 
I love Braveheart. The guy gets his guts exactly. ripped out at the end, and he's a hero. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think God's like me. I, I, I don't know how to say it. Oh, he, Greg, he likes the saga he, and the victory. Exactly. <laughs> he loves a good fight. He does. I mean, you just see this. You see it even in the in the cases where the possessions might protract for a certain period of time, and just seeing <laughs> seeing how the person who's possessed fights the nobility that they fight this thing with, and you're just you, you even recognize it yourself. Even, even as an exorcist or as a priest, you realize, you know, without God's grace, I couldn't fight that level of a fight, mm, right? Mm. So there's a real uh, joy that you get out of seeing that. Um, you know, actually, usually it's not in the battle. Of course, it's after you see the person. Um, attempting that. But I think it really boils down to one principle is that there are certain people that he just simply wants to draw closer to him than others. It wow. sounds, we, you know, we want to have, think that God's egalitarian. It's true that he wants everybody in heaven with him. That's true. But there are certain people that he wants through the crosses that they carry to, ha to have more glory in heaven. In fact, it's right in St. Paul, engage the ancient serpent and win the crown of glory. Mm. So we mm. actually know that God allows demons into your life precisely because he wants a very specific crown for you to have in heaven. It's very hopeful. It is very hopeful. With, with, every, with every cross we bear, uh, what energizes you with your job? Everybody's got, you know, I know it's, the, the amazing thing is to when I sit with you, people are gonna expect, you know, he's here with an exorcist, like, whoa, it's oh. gonna be so different. <laughs> and, and you have the persona of a, you know, like a, a grinder, like a guy who's yeah, like, yeah. I like to sit down at the desk and get some stuff done, right. you know, but there's, there's things that will energize you in your work. Uh, what makes you feel like, yeah, great day? <laughs> um, I think that it really boils down to um, seeing there are, there are certain things that actually I tell people, look, okay, maybe I should back up a bit. Being an exorcist is like being on the receiving end of a sewer pipe. <laughs> okay. And by, the, by that we mean in a sense because you're dealing with all the garbage. Yeah, right? yeah. But at the same time, women sometimes will lose their wedding rings down the drain. And so it gets, mm. and so you get these little gems floating down from time to time. Wow. So even in cases of possession, when the demons will talk about, say, some perfection of God or some aspect of Our Lady or something like that, it opens up the spiritual life. And so there's a real joy that you see in those perfections. Mm. The, you know, people say, oh, well, that's a really interesting job you have. Actually, the demons are really boring. It's the same stuff over and over again. Mm. It's the stuff that you hear about the saints or about God or about Our Lady that just, that, that's what that, a lot of that motivates you. So motivates they'll reveal you. things to you about the spiritual life. Uh, yeah, ab yeah, about something, like, for example, one case I had, Joan of Arc was the nemesis, and he revealed a very specific the thing about- demon was just hated Joan of Arc. He hated, he was the nemesis of Joan of Arc under a very specific um, title. And the, um, the, what was interesting is, is that one of the things you found out is, is that he, he caused a very specific kind of a suffering in her, um, but as a result of that, she became his nemesis as a result of it. So it was because of her combating him and not succumbing to it that she ended up becoming the nemesis in this very specific aspect of his of him as a demon. So you find so out- she like, experienced it as a temptation that she knew was demonic in origin. Yeah, or an Can affliction. Can you reveal what that is? Um, so basically what it, it, basically what it boiled down to I is- I guess that Mark Twain didn't get it in his book, so yeah. It, it actually does appear in his book, but he doesn't, it doesn't talk about it from this particular aspect. So what happens is, is um, at a certain point, they asked Joan of Arc, what are you afraid of? Because she didn't seem to be afraid. She was very valiant. She would go into battle and things of this sort, and she said treason. As it turns out, um, the, wow. his, she is the nemesis of Satan under the aspect of Satan being the inciter of treason through ambition. 
Now, if you think Whoa. about if you think about that in our modern historic context, that's pretty big, right? And the reason she became the nemesis of him for that reason is because the archbishop who put her to death was actually doing it. He was persecuting her and put her to death because he wanted to get a higher bishopric. It was treason. He was committing. He was a French bishop. He was committing pre treason against his own country in order to gain. So there's great specificity to the, Very specific, the, the yeah. aim of these demons. Oh, yeah. Um, wow. And this, sorry, go ahead. So it's just one of those things that you, you start to see those particular, so it's those particular aspects. In the end, I think the thing that really keeps me motivated to do it and um, enthusiastic about it is um, two things. One is because I mentioned before, I think Our Lady wants me to do this. And my basic attitude is, if she wants it, that's what mm. she gets. <laughs> and then the, the other part of it is um, knowing that if I'm faithful in this battle, then there's also some crown that God's going to give me, not that I'm looking for those specific things, but that I want to be able to manifest His glory in these things as well. Praise God. Praise God. Yeah. And, and you've, yeah, how would you describe your spiritual growth personally as a result of this line of work? Because I, I know God doesn't just make us His tools. He chooses us for a particular task because He wants to make us uh, grow in these through these tasks. He does, yeah. I kind of mentioned it uh, earlier today when we were talking yeah, privately, yeah. but I mentioned the fact that, um, you know, when before I was uh, right before I was beginning to become an exorcist, I said to God, make me a man of prayer. <laughs> Two months after I'm an exorcist, I said to him, this isn't exactly what I had expected. You know, what this wasn't I was anticipating. <laughs> and, but that's, there's two things I've noticed is um, a real commitment to prayer and a real consistency and habituation in relationship to making sure that I'm always praying. The second thing is, is too, is it's just, uh, you know, get, doing a lot of mortification, like fasting on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, That's powerful yourself. against demons, huh? Yeah, very powerful. Because they, there's, they, in addition to um, avoiding you if you're praying a lot, mm -hmm. they really don't like a body, as St. Paul says, that's been subjected. You know, they bring your body into subjection, he says. And that's done through doing mortifications like fasting and abstinence and practicing little self-denials and things of that sort. So doing that wow. on a consistent basis. So as an exorcist, it's kind of sink or swim. So you got to do this stuff. But now that I've gotten to the point where this stuff is more, it's more habituated, I would say, um, there's real joy in it. So wow. if, I, if I go over to someone's house, you know, that's a benefactor of ours or, or you know, is, is, uh, um, has made a really good dinner, the next day I'm like, I'm ready to fast again. You know, so, wow. so that's, that's been very helpful in that regard. You know, it's, it's also opened up for me, um, not just on an intellectual level, but even on a personal level in relationship to God and the saints, it's opened up a depth in seeing, the, as I mentioned, like say Joan of Arc, who I now have a very strong devotion to, or, um, you know, various other saints. Um, in fact, one time there was this one demon, it was the Feast of St. Catherine of Siena, and I asked St. Catherine of Siena to come down and afflict him, and he just went bananas. And then wow. it just kind of dawned on me, and I said, wait a minute, you weren't the guy that got kicked out by Catherine of Siena in the public square, were you? And then he just went crazy, right? So that tells me, okay, that's who it was, <laughs> oh, no. right? Come on, that's so, so cool. Yeah, so it is. <laughs> yeah. So, But it, the, the point being is, is that it gives you a real depth to your devotion and to your recognition of the reality, the truth of all things, all doctrines, and all teachings of the church. Yeah, so it just it's, it's a reminder to me. It's edifying. And yes. thanks for sharing this. I know that's why yeah. I had you on, I knew... It's, it's just the basic stuff of faith, the prayer, the fasting, come back to these basics. That's and right. you know what? Take them seriously. Yeah. This is seriously. no joke. Uh, last question before we, we take a little break and go into the next, uh, next set of uh, next topics. Sure. Um, how do you celebrate at the end of a day? <laughs> I uh, mean, you know, 
it's Miller time. Like, what does that look like yeah. for you as, um, a, as an exorcist? Well, unfortunately, I have to spend a lot of time working because there's, I've got so much stuff going on. And most <laughs> every exorcist complains that he's, he's too busy. But yeah. what I really honestly do is, and, and people, I, it's, it's, it's somewhat of a joke and it's somewhat of an odd. I tell people, as a joke, I tell them, you know, I drink scots and smoke cigars. Well, after COVID, I can't drink much alcohol anymore because it affects me more mm -hmm. than it used to. But... But I just actually have a relax. We actually have a community time with our community, and we just sit, relax, and talk. And so, I'm I'm able. I'm one of those guys that's really able to leave work at work. So after mm -hmm. the sessions, I'm able to go work and stuff, and just keep my mind completely off of it. That's awesome. But also, um, I engage in normal recreation just like anybody else does. Mm. Which the devil doesn't like. No, he does not. He, he doesn't does, like normal. He does not like us to have a normal life. He's envious. Wow. Yeah. It's profound. Thank yeah. you so much. Uh, guys, uh, next episode, we're going to dive into uh, dealing with the spiritual uh, combat that, that most of us experience as part of just following Jesus and how to win in that combat uh, with Father Chad Ripperger. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, the temptation to just give into constant negativity, uh, which is not just a psychological battle, but there's spiritual dimensions to that as well. You don't want to miss it. And thanks for watching today. Man, wasn't that great? Listen, if you don't want to be happy, be sure not to subscribe. But if you want a more joyful life, the kind of life that God created you for, the kind of life Jesus promised when he said, I came to give you life to the full, then make sure you hit subscribe and share this channel with everybody you know.